Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your extravagant love and the reminder today that it exists, it's real, it's true, it affects us in really practical ways. And Lord, we just thank you that we can continue celebrating your love through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, you may be seated. The kids can go off to Kids Connection and uh, off they go. Uh, welcome. Nice to see you all in person. And for those of you online, welcome to Village Green Community Church. Um, quick question. How many of you can tell that my wife laid out my clothes for me this morning? No. <laughs> you didn't. Awesome. Awesome. We'll continue it, hon. Okay, no problem. I'm okay with it. <laughs> hey, um, have, you, have you heard what's happening in Kentucky? The revival. Oh, man. Wow. Let's pray, Let's pray that that continues. That's starting to spread to other schools and, and all kinds of stuff. And you know what's really neat about it? It's young people. Like a whole school of young people, that God is doing something to young people. And I think that's so exciting because, well, I, I, there's a whole sermon about how culture is just decimating our young people. Can we, you know, and God is doing a work in young people's hearts and lives. And that is so exciting. Let's hope it spreads to Canada. Let's hope it spreads around the world because God is doing a great Yes. All right. Okay, we're good. Yeah, uh, we, we've been praying for revival. We've been praying for churches. And to see young people get excited about God and just committing their life to the Lord is really, really Exciting, and I'm I'm excited um, to start this series next week on forgiveness. I hope uh, I hope you're looking to be a part of it. It's um, going to be a four-part series, and we're going to do a deep dive on what it means to forgive, what it means to live out forgiveness. And I think every single person in this room has had some negative experience with forgiveness. Can we say that? Yeah. So what does it mean? And um, we're going to look at that next week, and I think it's really timely, considering everything that we've been through culturally, socially, uh, politically, I think we desperately need a, to understand forgiveness in, in a way that's gonna heal us, not continue hurting people, all right? So with, with that kind of introduction in mind, we are finishing our very last sermon of the six-part series on the God is uh, series. And of course, we're talking about a really big one today, but I'm going to do a bit of a review. So God is three in one. That was the first week we talked about God being three in one, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then we talked about God being knowable, that God has revealed himself, that God has, you know, revealed himself in a number of ways. You know, even through creation, God has revealed himself. And then third week, we talked about God being spirit, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about, you know, the, the you know, 
How does God manifest? Is there a physical reality to God? We talked a little bit about that. Then we talked about God being holy and, you know, about this set-apart kind of concept about God. And then we talked about God being good was last week. And today we're going to talk about God is love. God is love. Now, there's two extremes to this particular idea of God is love. The first extreme is how would you fill in the blank here? How could a loving God, okay? I'm going to leave it blank because each and every one of you could put something in that blank that pertains to the reality of your situation. How could God allow this? How could God, you know, um, oh boy, boy. And we've all heard it, right? We've all heard it from somebody. How can a loving God allow this, okay? The second extreme is God loves me no matter what. I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever I want. I can, um, you know, uh, do this to other people as much as I want. But I know that God's a loving God and he'll forgive me. How many of you have heard, um, uh, just do it and ask for forgiveness later? How many of you think that's a horrible way to live? (laughs) Absolutely. I don't know how many times people have done something to me personally and then said, Oh, but you have to forgive me. Oh, that's next week's sermon. Sorry. Um, but, you know, th- that's, that's the reality. You know, you have to love me. You know, I can do what I want. You're a believer. You represent God, blah, blah, you know, all this kind of stuff. So we know that those are two absolute extremes when it comes to God's love. Okay? That, that we have to understand the character and the person and nature of God in a very nuanced kind of way. So I'm going to read um, a passage that's the first passage in the Bible that totally describes the character and nature of God. We pulled a little bit out of this last week, but I'm going to do the full thing. And uh, there's a difficult part in this particular passage, and we're going to unwind that a little bit too. But here we are talking about Moses back in Exodus, and Moses says, I want to see you, God. I want to see your physical, and, and you know, I want to see what you look like. And God promises to pass by, and as he does, this is what the passage says. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, with Moses. And he called out his own name, Yahweh, which is in the Old Testament, God's personal name for himself, okay? So the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord. Now in the Hebrew text, by the way, it it says Yahweh, Yahweh. And we've translated that second Yahweh as the Lord. It's just a construction in the Hebrew and it brings about what it's actually being said. But this is what God says about himself. I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. How many, oh, how many of you would love to be slow to anger? Can we just, you know? I think, I think that's what makes God God. Okay, is that he's slow to anger. Okay, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, some of you um, have newer versions of the Bible, 
And you probably um, look at the Gospel of John. In the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, in the New Living Translation, for, for instance, it says, the law came through Moses, but unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. We're used to seeing the passage, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. They are simply mimicking what the Old Testament is saying in this particular passage, and they're applying it to the person of Jesus Christ. So it's not like they're you know, translating it wrong or they're just showing the continuity between the Old Testament uh, picture of Jesus and his relationship to Yahweh in the Old Testament. So there's a continuity there, okay? So, and this unfailing love and faithfulness is talked about with, you know, God through the Old Testament and Jesus throughout the New Testament. Listen to this language too. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive inequity, rebellion, and sin. And then here's, here's the, oh, there's a but. Anytime you're reading anything, there's a but. You know there's going to be a turnaround, right? So, but. I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. So, um, let's, let's unpack this a little bit so we're a little clearer about all of this. But this particular passage is one of the most referenced passages in the entire Bible when it comes to the person, character, nature of God himself. It's referenced in so many different places. I'm not going to give you all the references. But it talks about God's lavish and unfailing love. Okay? There's an expectation of obedience. There's an expectation of commitment to the Lord. But this last part is so, so challenging. But here's the reality. And, you know, I went through a number of resources to, to pull this out. There's a certain way that scholars understand this particular passage. But God created a world of cause and effect. This is what's being talked about here. That, that, that the things that we do wrong has consequences. We may say, you know, um, we may fix it. We may repent of it. We may ask for forgiveness. But consequences still exist. And this is what's being talked about here. They can affect future descendants. Um, for instance, for instance, an alcoholic parent can affect the next generation. We know that. We, we can talk about, you know, an abusive, destructive parent can affect. I can't tell you, anytime, anytime there's certain things that I speak about, I guarantee I'm going to get all these emails. Anytime I've ever spoken on Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father, and what it talks about, I invariably will get emails saying, you know how difficult that was. How many people have struggles with the fact that the Bible talks about God as a father, you know? So we know that this is just natural. 
that what we do has an effect to the generation coming report, uh, you know, um, to follow us. What is important to really note here is this is actually a statement of God's mercy. Most scholars are going to say, wait a minute, like notice that he lavishes love to thousands of generations, but there's a limiting effect that God has for the generations that are hurt, that the natural effect of those sins to three or four generations. Um, in any generation, anybody who repents, anybody who sins, even though there's consequences, God forgives them that his love is immediate. There isn't, there isn't, there isn't a, a section of the Bible that says, you know, when we ask God for forgiveness, when we ask God and we recognize that we've done wrong, there isn't a call from God that says, hang on a minute, we have to review your file. It's got to go to committee. And we're going to have to assess this because you've actually made your bed, made your bed, and we're going to make you lie in it for just long enough. There's, there's a sense in which that God's love is immediate and it's felt and it's real. Okay? So we cannot deny this, okay? Um, but anytime we want to break the cycle, which is what God's love is all about, by the way, is breaking a cycle where we can experience God's love in a world that's fallen. Remember a few messages ago, we talked about we live in a fallen world, okay? We live with an evil one that is just trying to undermine everything that, that God does in our lives. And we have moral freedom on top of that. And God is dealing with all those things. I don't know about you, I had trouble with two sons growing up, let alone a whole world of billions of people. Okay? And, and my boys are good. <laughs> you know, they weren't trouble. Okay? So this is one of those really tough passages. But I'm going to take us to another passage that's really well known. We actually read it as part of the worship service. And we're going to go to John 3, 16 and 17. Okay? Notice, notice how this particular version and more and more, more uh, uh, recent versions of the Bible are actually translating this way because they're understanding a little nuance in the Greek. Typically when we say John 3.16, we say, for God so loved the world that, okay? And, and we know that, that rhymes really easy, that comes out of our head really easy. But look how this translation particularly does it. For this is how God loved the world. Notice the difference. This passage is not about, you know, um, our, how special we are or that kind of stuff. It's a passage that talks about how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save it 
to save the world through him. Um, I think another uh, recent version says, for God loved the world in this way. Okay? So that's a really important uh, nuance. And, and um, I, I have to admit, even, even as a Greek, very early on in my, in, in my journey as a believer, I, I recognized that there was just something a little bit off with John 3.16. And more current versions are seeing that. Of course God loves us. But the way he demonstrated his love to us was by sending Jesus into the world to sacrifice his son. This passage um, also teaches something else about God. Um, I thought this, I actually thought the sermon on love was going to be a lot more, um, you know, encouraging than this, if I could say it that way. Okay? But here's, here's something else that this particular passage teaches. It teaches that God's love is both unconditional and conditional. It's conditional based on belief and obedience. Notice what it says, okay? Uh, God sent this world not to judge it, but to save the world through him. That there is something, there's a sense of disobedience in the world that God sent his son. In other words, why would, Jesus, why would God send his son if there was no problem with us whatsoever? Like there's something to that. If we were all okay, and you know, why would God bother to do that and to sacrifice something so precious for our sake? Okay, that's, that's, that's heavy. That is heavy, heavy, heavy. The truth is that God loves us no matter what, but requires a response for us to know, in order to fully know him and fully embrace him. Okay, we can see the unconditional side of God's love. He gave his only son to save people from the world um, of perishing, which speaks to the sacrificial nature of God's love, sacrificial nature of God's love. Okay, but here, here is, here's my big struggle. I'm going to be real. I really am starting to not like the terminology of conditional and unconditional love. I think it's such a nuanced argument, and I don't think the Bible really talks in those terms a lot. You know the terms that, God, that the Bible talks about more so than conditional and unconditional? Unfailing. It is better, I think it is better to say that God's love is unfailing, that it's always there when we need it, when, when, when we've asked for it, when we're, you know, repenting when we're needing it when we need to sense it when when things are difficult and and you know that God's love is never far never outside of our relationship with God it's always there so it's never it's it, it never fails us Okay, and I think that's the far better way um, to talk about it. Um, Romans 5 said, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is not affected by or afraid of our mess. Despite our sin, God's love motivated 
and, and sent Jesus to die for us. This is amazing, selfless love that God gave for us. This is the steadfast and faithful love of God, and it remains and endures even when we do not. This is seen time and time again in the Bible where, you know, even some of, even God's people would, would kind of stumble and fall and, and they would turn their backs on God. Yet God continued to stand with his people, continued to stand and love them. The psalmist David actually wrote that after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge me, O Lord. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. We can love others, but we are still fallible sinners who get things wrong and hurt people at times. However, God's love does not change because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. The greatest demonstration of God's love is found on the cross. Is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at this next passage. Um, this, this, is a, this passage really challenges me in many ways. But anyone, 1 John 4, 8, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. There's a characteristic right there. But doesn't, doesn't that just challenge your own heart to hear that? That if you do not love, okay, that you, you don't know God, that there's something about that is innate in us as image bearers of God, that love is such an important factor in life, in life, okay? I'm going to show you a chart right after this. I'm going to, I'm, um, go ahead and put the chart up there, Aiden. I'm going to do this. Um, I, I said before, the last three messages, this one included, we talked about God being holy, we talked about God being good, and now we're talking about God being love, okay? We talked about all those three. And what I said about these last three characteristics is that those are really cool um, characteristics of God. But when we say that we're starting to follow God, that we're starting to be a believer, that we believe in Jesus Christ and that, that there are plenty of passages that say we are now to live holy lives. We are now to be good. And we are now to be people who love. Okay? Now, I've, I've got to tell you, as, as a Christian, this is really challenging. There are lots of world religions. There are lots of, you know, philosophies and, you know, um, all kinds of ideas about religion and spirituality. Um, a lot of them will embrace the ideas of holiness and goodness. A lot of them will embrace those, those two ideals. But can I tell you something about holiness? Holiness can be a detractor for some people. We, we can be, we can, you know, act so holy that we turn people off. Can we just talk about that? Like we can get this wrong idea about holiness and it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to be around you. Okay, you're dirty, you're filthy, you're unclean. Okay, we can do this kind of religious thing and holiness becomes a detractor. Okay, and we can also play the good game. 
All right? We can be good to people, but we never have to go near them. Okay? We can, we can be good from a distance. We can justify our actions by being good. In fact, I would argue with you that Christianity is the only faith-based system in the entire world whose primary ethic is all about love. I know you all studied world religions and you just know that's a true statement. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna challenge you to find any other system that embraces love to the degree that Christianity does. I challenge you, okay? When they asked Jesus, the great, you know, part of our mission statement, you know, what, what is you know, the summation of the Old Testament? It was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, remember last week when we talked about good, I said God is really concerned with three relationships, the relationship with yourself, the relationship with others, and the relationship you have with God. He's very concerned. And if you look at that particular mission statement, the great commandment in, in the Bible, right? It talks about love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, which is other relationships, and love yourself. Okay? You know? You have to understand those three relationships in order to know how God loves us and wants us to be loving people. So that's the big challenge. Christianity embraces love, that that is the primary ethic in the kingdom of God. And yet, is it so hard? It is so, so hard, right? Okay. I now, I'm, I'm running out of time, but I want to take you to the most um, neglected passage in the entire Bible when it comes to love, which demonstrates why this is so hard, okay? This is the most neglected passage in the entire, and in fact, it makes me um, not angry, but it frustrates me when People come to this particular chapter and start at verse 4 because that's taken it out of context. Okay? Here's the most neglected passage in the entire Bible when it comes to love, and this is why we get it wrong. Here's 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. All right? I'm going to walk us through this. Don't neglect this passage. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, what's it say? But didn't love others. I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay. What happens when you have a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? What do you normally do? Right? Okay. And meanwhile, you're blabbering out some really eloquent whatever and thinking you're all wise and you're all smart and people should be listening and all that kind of stuff. And yet people know a fraud or a braggart right off the bat. And right away, 
they're doing this. Okay? That's hard. That's hard. What's the second one say? If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, in other words, if you had that kind of stuff, there would be people lining up at the door, packing out places like this, you know, and just coming to see the spectacle that's going on because God's moving in miraculous ways. And this is Paul, by the way, talking to a church that's really struggling because they're doing some pretty outlandish things. Okay, he's, he's writing to the church in Corinth, which is really the Las Vegas of its day. Okay, that's what it is. And he says, okay, and he says, if I could do all this, but if I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Okay? Number three, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. How important is love? And how important is it how we show love? Okay? Notice that last part, if I sacrificed my body, isn't that the language of Jesus' sacrifice that Paul was talking about. And imagine if the sacrifice of Jesus happened, happened without love. Imagine. Okay? So let me, let me kind of div, give you a definition of love as we close this off. Love is an unfailing commitment. And notice I use the unfailing commitment not unconditional or conditional. Because can I just say, I think for human beings, it's really hard to love unconditionally. I think the closest we come is grandchildren, our own children, you know, that kind of thing. Okay? All right? And I know that's a huge argument, and I know there's a lot of parents here that say, I do love unconditionally and, and stuff. But you have certain expectations, and again, that's a big... And that's why we get into kind of nuances with the terminology of unconditional and that. That's why I like using unfailing love, okay? To an imperfect person. Now, I, I, again, this is intentional. We're all flawed in one way or another. Okay? By which I allow myself to be a vessel of God's intended purposes. Why do I love that person? You know, because God loves them. Because they're made in the image of God. That they have value and worth. That they deserve the love of God. Okay? By the way, this is what I want to be really careful of. We never treat anybody as a project. Ever treat anybody as a project. But we do, you know, and this never means that you become a doormat for people. Well, that's why when we talk about forgiveness, we're going to go into that, all right? But why is love so hard? Here's the last point I want to make. Love is hard because it will demand more of me than I am sometimes willing to give. Love will make demands of you that are not going to be easy. 
and love will demand more of you than sometimes you are willing to give. To love someone has to involve a selfless concern for their flourishing and for their true good. And love that is not shared is not love at all. What did Jesus say about his believers? That we will be known how? By our love. Okay? It's very nuanced, but it's very powerful. And as Christians... That is the primary ethic that we are called to demonstrate to a world that needs the love of Jesus Christ, who gave himself in order that no one perishes but have eternal life in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, this series of messages where we have looked and done, I think, a deep dive into your character and your nature and what it means for us as fellow believers. I pray, Lord, as we gather together in life groups this week that we would just have an opportunity to discuss and flesh out this beauty of love that is such a prevalent component to your characteristics and nature. And Lord, I just thank you that Christianity is not like everything else, where we can just be good and live our lives in a way that doesn't have any definition, that can't even put a line on when it is that we're no longer good enough. But Lord, thank you that you gave us a clear way to have a relationship with you. And that is through the love of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Lord, I pray that if there be somebody here that needs to hear this message and fully embrace it and come to a faith in you, then I pray that today would be the day that they would make that decision and live a life of fulfillment and love based on Jesus Christ himself. So we thank you in his name. Amen.